Congregation, the text for this evening's our sermon is 1 Corinthians 12, and one of the main texts is verse 12. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. For as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. So far, different but one is the theme for tonight's sermon. Different but one, four thoughts, united in Christ, one in Christ, the verses one, two, and three. Secondly, united in the spirit, in the verses four through eleven, we find many times the word spirit. Emphasis on the Holy Spirit, united in the Spirit. In the third place, united as a body. In the verses 12 to 27, often you read about the body and the members. And the last thought, the fourth, different responsibilities. In the verses 28 through 31. Different, but one. United in Christ, united in the Spirit, united as one body, but different responsibilities. Congregation, we know in the congregation of Corinth was tension. People fighting, was jealousy and disagreement, and it was not nice. The congregation was supposed to be one body in Christ, in the Holy Spirit. But you did not see much of it at that time. Tension, was division, jealousy. Some felt superior to others and said, you know, I can speak in tongues. And he can speak in, he can understand it. And that other one is able to do miracles. And they were competing with one another. Some felt neglected, ignored, as if it didn't count. Now, at least they had contact with each other, but yet tension and differences in opinion and jealousy and anger. The apostle emphasizes that the believers are one body and that all the different gifts are still from the same spirit. But he begins... Reminding the Christians in Corinth uh, of their offspring, of their origin, what happened to them. So he begins in verse 1, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. I don't want you to forget. What? Ignorant about what? You know that you were Gentiles, carried away into these dumb idols even as you were led. Therefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus cursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. What does he mean? Well, if they could have been so ignorant in those days, could they not be ignorant yet? 
And if they had been so foolish in serving the idols, can they be still foolish? Yes, we can. We can still be in the hearts of God's people so much carnality, so, so much souls under sin, so much ignorance, so much lack of the real knowledge and real wisdom. So he warns them, do you know where you come from? They're still the same. Be careful. Be on your toes. Be alert. Because you're still... You still have that same, same heart. Things have changed. You still have that carnality in you. He reminds the members of the fact that nobody can believe in the Lord Jesus Christ but by the Holy Ghost. That they need that Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost and Christ work together so they have all the same spirit. Don't they believe in the Lord Jesus? Without faith in him, we do not belong to the living church, he says. That's the point he's making in the first verses. Without the Holy Spirit, no room is made in the heart. Without the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus is not exalted. We don't know him. We are on our own, unconverted, in the darkness, in our animosity. Without faith, we don't belong to the church. Not really. So the main matter regarding unity is, what's the main thing in, in, to, to have unity? is believing. Believing in that one Savior. No man can say, no man can say, that's verse 3. Nobody can say that Jesus is the Lord. Of course, with your mouth you can. But nobody can say with the heart, Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost needs to teach us that. Without him opening the eyes, we don't see it. We need that Holy Spirit. That's why I pray for the Holy Spirit also tonight, right? To open the eyes, to make room for the Lord Jesus Christ. No man can say, otherwise it's artificial. No man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Spirit, and that means that the spiritual gifts are demonic and common and nothing special if Christ is accursed, if Christ has no place in the doctrine, if Christ is missing. People have do, do miracles and they do wonders and they speak in tongues and make many extraordinary things and the Lord, Lord says it means nothing without faith in the Lord Jesus Christ than it is Satan work. So that's why he mentions that we need to be baptized, baptized in a spiritual sense and need to, need to come alive. Someone with the greatest gifts and the most honor is nothing if he is not a branch in the vine, if he's not a sheep of the shepherd, you can mean that you are having an influence in the congregation, you can do something for the Lord, but if you are dead in sins, it's not so. If you're not the sheep of the shepherd, not the branch in the vine, it's also futile. You have not entered the door. You don't trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have no spiritual life in you. So the question tonight is, to start with, what does the Lord Jesus mean to you? Is he, do you know him? Have you met with him? 
in the Bible? Have you heard his voice as a shepherd? Do you follow him? Can't you miss him? Is he dear to you and so precious to you? You say, he's everything. He means so much to me. What does he mean to you? Is he your prophet to teach you? Is he your high priest? Is he your king? You follow him? Do you highly esteem him? The Lord Jesus asked the apostle Peter, lovest thou me? And if the Lord would ask us, what is our answer? So no man can say that Jesus is the Christ unless that Holy Spirit comes. Are we without him? Then you cannot have spiritual gifts either. You may have natural gifts. You may be born in a certain way, born with a good understanding and intelligence, or born with a feeling of being social, or you're born with insight and wisdom. But that's not what it is here. This is about special gifts of the Holy Spirit. Without Christ, we miss them. So our understanding needs to be enlightened. Are we part of the church? That's the first question. So look at the cancer at the Heiberg Catechism, for example, on page 49. Page 49, we read something about the church. What believest thou concerning the Holy Catholic Church of Christ? And the Son of God, from the beginning to the end of the world, gathers. He gathers. He defends. He preserves to himself by his spirit and word out of the whole human race, a church chosen to everlasting life, agreeing in true faith. See, they're united. Agreeing in true faith that I am and I shall remain a living member thereof. That's the first verses in 1 Corinthians 12. To be a living member of the church. Are we? I sometimes think back of that time when I was a student, preaching student. And in Holland, we went from one congregation to the other, always a different one, 150 congregations, right? So I always knew. And they looked at you, and they, you looked at them, and then at the evening, after the evening service, in some congregations, it was a gathering of God's people in a house. We call it a gezelschap. One of those times was in Wolfhardsdijk, where also one of the elders was sitting in the, in, the, in the living room. And I asked a few of them, could you please tell me something about how the Lord changed your heart? I would love to hear that. And the brother of Reverend Hogeland was there, and he, he mentioned something. He was a city worker. He was on the dikes. He was cleaning branches. And you know in Holland, Holland looks like a park, right? There's not a forest. There's a park with all those exact rows of poplar trees. And so he was one morning working on the dike, and he saw a row of those poplar trees, and one of them was black. Well, it had no green leaf on it at all. He looked at the tree, and he, he, he saw something. He felt something. I am like that tree. I am dead. I have nothing. I have no life in my soul. That's, I think, if I remember well, how the Lord started his life. So that he was not a member of Christ. 
that he was dead in sins, that he was without God, and he felt horrible, and he began to see the living God to be made alive. Now, are you alive? Would you also have to compare yourself with such a dead, black, blobber tree, so worthless, without any green leaf on it? We need the Holy Spirit to give regeneration. It's possible that those dead branches come to life again, not in nature. In nature, when the tree is dead, it's dead. If the root is still alive, there's hope. But if the whole tree is dead, it cannot be alive anymore. But in spiritual sense, it's possible. The dead live. The Lord Jesus can say, rise from the dead. He has such a power to change people's heart, and then they become alive. Therefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit called Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit leads to the Lord Jesus, to that apple tree, to the beautiful tree who is filled with fruits and is pleasing to his Father and to be saved by him. Is that real? Brings to the second thought. United in the Spirit. The verses 4 through 11 contain seven times the word the same. Seven times the same, the same, the same, the same, seven times. And also seven times the word spirit, spirit, spirit. So no wonder that we have called that peace united in the spirit. The same, right? Then people are the same, united in the spirit. Oh, do we need that Holy Spirit? In the verses 4, 5, and 6, we also see something else. We see the Trinity. Let me, let's read the verses and see if you can find it. The Trinity. Now, these, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it's the same God, which worketh all in all. Do you see the Trinity? The Spirit, the Lord, and God. The same Spirit, the same Lord, the same God the Father. She's emphasizing in the verses 4 through 11 that unity in the spirit, the same. Also look at verse 11. All those differences he mentions, like I think there are 10 of them, the gifts, different gifts, different administrations in the church, different operations, different types of wisdom, sometimes knowledge, faith, Healing, miracles, prophecy, discernment. All those gifts are in the church, here and there. But it gives also those the diversities of those gifts to people, freely, according to his will. But look at verse 11. All these worketh that one and the self same spirit. 
dividing, sharing to every man severally as he will. So he gives this one of his child this gift, and another one that gift. I find it hard to pinpoint what the Apostle Paul exactly refers to. But he does not mean that the one is an introvert and not an extrovert, and that the one is by nature patient and the other by nature social. Those gifts can be used as well, of course. But the apostle is referring to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and they come without preparation. Without preparation. They come suddenly. They come temporarily upon the person. And the person receives light and insight or wisdom or faith or insight into the future of discernment. The Holy Spirit, in the first place, breaks into the heart of sinners. Right? And the doors are closed. He opens the door just like that. He renews the heart. This gives a complete different tone to it and different insight. He testifies of Christ. He makes room for the Savior. He witnesses with their spirit that they are God's people. The Holy Spirit is working hard in the lives of his people. Creates also longing for holiness. And all God's children have that in common. They have that same spirit, but there are differences, different charismata, we call it, in particular. Those gifts are different. They have things in common, and there are things different. So it refers more to insight, for example, into a particular thing, light on moving or not, having a calling to be a missionary or not, being led a certain way or not, maybe a revelation of something that happens in the future. Some people, of, some of God's people start happening. That, was a, that would come in a second world war, and they just counted on it, and some felt that they would be protected. I talked to a Vietnam soldier, veteran, years ago, and he was in the States. He was chosen to go to Vietnam. And he received that word for him. Thou shalt live and not die. And I believe, and he believes, it was the Holy Spirit was teaching him that he did not have to fear. So in particular, the Lord gave that courage, that faith. Of, or receiving faith that the Lord will answer my prayer. There's not a saving faith. But in particular, faith in, in, in something that that child that is going off the deep end will come back to church. The faith that the Lord can give. By faith, miracles can happen. Let me give an example. A little personal. This week, I had to teach catechism classes, right? The confession class was canceled, but the normal catechism classes are still there. And on my schedule was the, the Trinity. I had to talk about the, the Trinity. And I looked at it. There was absolutely nothing in there. 
I, I couldn't do a lesson on that. I, I looked at my papers from years ago to prepare, prepare it. It was impossible to do a, to do a lesson on that. I, I almost panicked. So, what do I do? I have to teach a subject and I don't feel anything about it. I've absolutely, it was so dark and so impossible. So then you pray, Lord, help me. Lord, give me guidance. What do I need to talk about tonight? And then Psalm 42 came to my mind. My dear Psalm 42. And I know quite a bit about that Psalm. But it just came in front of me. And I had a desire to bring that forth to young people. And I did. And it went well. And you know, the refrain, remember the refrain in that Psalm 42, 43? Why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God. I shall yet praise him. It was about David being depressed and down and not being able to come forward. And all the waves and the bills had gone over me. You know, I would not be surprised if some young people had needed to hear that. They were so down themselves and they saw light that David was in the same struggle. And I checked the young people if they had listened and I asked them all the question. And they all answered the question well. I felt so blessed. I said, Lord, thank thee that I could teach this psalm. And I did not prepare it. But the Lord don't help out. So that is the Holy Spirit working, not just in, in constantly, but time and again, over and over. So in the same way, elders, deacons on house visitation may sometimes receive the Holy Spirit and feel kind of that their antennas are off. And they can listen, they hear things they normally would not have heard. And they just receive insight into what's happening in the family. And they, they look at that man, they look at the woman, they look at the child, and they feel a connection. And they feel the Holy Spirit guiding them. And they are listening, and they also say a few words, and they, they may counsel them. And they may experience a blessed house visitation. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not just uh, entertaining, not just only paying attention to each other, but having a connection, connection about spiritual things. You know, those chapters, like 1 Corinthians 12, and about all those different miracles and gifts, uh, those chapters are often abused, especially in Pentecostal churches, where you don't count if you don't have that. You have to have those gifts you have to have them present. You have to have the faith. And if you don't have the faith, then you get sick, and then people get sick, and when you, uh, people get sick, and you, you believe it, then people get, get better. They overemphasize that. And on the other side, for, for, for some, right, Pentecostals, those miracles, those gifts are everything. And others relegate them to long times ago and explain that the early church needed an extra boost. And after the bomb and rolling, 
so to speak, they did not need those gifts anymore because then the whole Bible was revealed. And they say that we don't need those gifts at all anymore, so they don't exist anymore. They, they, you don't find the church any longer. No miracles, no opening, no prophecies, no predicting of the future, nothing. Well, in my opinion, it goes too far as well. I believe the Lord is still doing those miracles. There's still a Holy Spirit. Maybe not so extraordinary as in the Pentecostal churches. Maybe not so overemphasized. Maybe not, maybe in a more quiet way, maybe not in a common way, but the Lord is still the same. And don't forget what makes it extra complicated that we read in Matthew 24. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders in so much that, if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. So the fact that some people can do miracles, I, I believe miracles happen. And they can be from Satan as well, to what has told us. But it can be also of the Lord. This depends. Just as a way to help you out, what's important is also if it is combined with biblical theology. When people speak in tongues, that they still try to do, and maybe that is also a work of the Holy Spirit, sometimes, a work of Satan sometimes, but that as far as I know, that speaking in tongues today goes together with the doctrine without election, for example. Usually very free will doctrines. And it makes it right away suspicious. So when something happens like that, you always ask the question, what do they teach there? What is the doctrine? If the doctrine is false, the doctrine is deceiving, not biblical, then you know it already, kind of. Not much hope. But this is from the Lord. Anyway, in Corinth, many of these gifts were real, and there were frictions about them. And Paul therefore states, they're all from the same spirit. The ear, the nose, the hand, the mouth, it all has a function. And it's not so important exactly what you have, what you receive once in a while, it's how faithful you are. The Lord Jesus wants us to ask what we need to do in life what our purpose in life is, and also as a church member and as a Christian. And he is able to equip us for whatever it is. So everyone has a calling in church. Not only office bearers do, we all do. So are we united in the spirit do we care for that body of, this, of, 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 the, of, of the church? Do we care for Christ? That's the question in the verses 4 through 11.
And then in the third, in the third place, united as a body. In the verses 12 through 27, we find 18 times the word body. 18 times. That's quite a few, a few times. And in 15 verses, the apostle is explaining this one body and many members. He talks about members as well, 13 times members, 12 times body, and 30 times members, members of the body. You know what members of the body are, right? My hand is a member, my ear is a member, my nose is a member. They're all members, uh, parts, body parts. So he calls it the members of the body. So, one body and many members. Do you hear the contrast? The Spirit has baptized into one body, has baptized into one body, it says. Look at the verses 11 and 12. But all these workers, this one and the self same spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will, as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. Verse 13, all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and shall be and have been all made to drink, have been made to drink in one spirit. I looked at verse 13. I thought, what do we make of that? Being baptized into one body and all made to drink into one spirit. I think it is at least a faint reference to the sacraments the sacraments of baptism and the sacrament of Holy Supper. Because both sacraments also emphasize the unity, right? The church is baptized in a spiritual sense. Baptism speaks especially for the, about them, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. So, baptized in Christ, unite with the Lord Jesus in one body. Jews and Gentiles, bond or free, are be made to drink into one spirit, being made thirsty and thirsty for the living water and to drink it. All God's children are given to drink of that water of life and that unites them together. Right? So the eye has no right to say, I'm the, I'm the body. So one member cannot say, no, look at me, I am the body. Nobody is the body. They are only members, different types of members, but not the body itself. And if people say that and draw attention to themselves, that's pride, presumption. In verse 18, we read that God has placed the body parts where it has pleased him. But now, has God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it has pleased him? So the ear are 
exactly there on my head. And the nose is here. And my hands are there, exactly in the same place as the, the, the Lord, the Lord as, uh, pleased the Lord. And so pleased the Lord also in the church to give certain people certain gifts at certain times for his glory and for the unification and the welfare of the church. And sometimes the body part seems to be futile and worthless. For example, think of the appendix. You know, there's still doctors saying the appendix that is the rest of evolution. It has absolutely no meaning. But lately, other doctors are convinced that it has a real meaning. When people had the flu and all their, their, their whole digestive system was kind of in trouble and emptied, they needed a storehouse with good bacteria. And that's in the appendix. It saves good bacteria for when the body is healing so then they can spread in the intestines again. So sometimes we think of a person that is a, who is a Christian in the first place, that the, that the person is so simple and has no understanding and has nothing like this or that, and maybe we can look down on the person, but you know what if the person is the appendix? It is the, a, a real important part of the body. Looked down upon, but yet important. So the most insignificant members still have a function. Do you want to be an appendix? Do you want to be a pinky? Would you like to be a fingernail? No. It's interesting what the body is called here. You can, but what, is, what do you think the body is called? What is the body? Young people, the body of the church, you say. It's the church. That's correct. But it also has another name. What is the body called? The body is called Christ himself. He is the body. He is not only the head. It, the, the whole church is the body of Christ. And all different members have different functions. And they're all under or in one body, being Christ. So you can split a church. But you cannot split Christ. You cannot split the Savior. So that's why it is important to seek unity in the church. Also in the time as we live in, right? The time of COVID and confusion we need to pull together. We need to experience, we need to also believe and work on unity in the church and to see each other and to care for one another and to promote the church. And that is exactly the point the Apostle Paul desires to make. With all the differences, the church is one body and the body is Christ. Christ is the head but the body is also Christ's body. And should we not love one another, respect one another, and care for one another? Look at verse 25. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. If you are a Christian, I mean a Christian, right? with life in your soul, with that Holy Spirit, that same Spirit 
if you're a member of Christ, that's foremost. And yet we cannot just skip that part. They also need to wonder for yourself, how can I promote the unity of the church? What can I do for God, for his glory, for, for his honor? So there should be no schism in the body that the members should have the same care one for another, to care for one another in the church. How do you care? You talk. You communicate. You say, read this. You say, here is a book. You, 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 you give someone a car. You, you, you pay a visit. You, you, you just draw together. You just get to know people. You have a responsibility for the church. You know, sometimes people say to me, Reverend, in our church we see each other on Sunday in church. You, you, you say hardly hello. You leave, and you don't see them the whole week anymore. There's absolutely no connection. Well, what do I say? We live in a busy time, and I know, but it's not good. There should be more unity, more talking, more communication, more of that, what the Apostle Paul talks about, more, more, more to care for another, to see each other's need, to Pay attention to me, observe and say, what's happening? I haven't seen that person. I'd like to talk to the person. I would like to help the person. Think of what Christ said in 1 Corinthians 6. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. See? So Christ is the body. And the church is, are, are, are the members of it. Even our bodies are part of Christ's body. If they are made new, united as church. Brings to the fourth thought, different responsibilities. Congregation in verse 28, the Apostle Paul again speaks about the whole list of responsibilities. And God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Now, is there a difference between this list and the previous one? It seems that he now speaks about more like more more about office bearers. People with a permanent responsibility for something. As it looks like, right? Someone is not only some sometimes an apostle, it's always an apostle, only sometimes a prophet, always a prophet. Yes, difficult to exactly know what he's talking about. So what has been done in the past is to compare this piece with Ephesians 4. Let me read Ephesians 4 and then combine those two verses. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. You also know from the Bible that there are elders. Where are they? You know about deacons, I don't hear about them, or do we? And it says, apostles, I know what he means. The apostles are the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, the plant of the church, and who are also involved in 
writing the Bible. You know what he's talking about when he, when he mentions prophets, like Agabus was a prophet, even in the time of the New Testament, Acts 21. And as we tell you there, many days there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he was coming to us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that over this girdle. He was kind of predicting that the Apostle Paul would be captured. So there were also those times prophets yet. So apostles, prophets, Teachers? Are those teachers not the ministers? Prophets and teachers? Are those helps not the deacons? Are those governments not the elders? I don't know. I don't exactly know what anybody means. So maybe it's the safest way to say that all those, all those responsibilities are diverse. There are way more of them. Many, many responsibilities from all different colors. And he has also only mentioned a few of them. And all those people have some of those special callings and special responsibilities. And remarkable, though, previously he wrote that we need to be content with just being the ear or the hand or the appendix, I added. He answered the command to covet earnestly the best gifts. See that in verse 31? Have all the gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. So at first he says, whatever gift you have, be content, it's the Lord's will, he knows what he's doing. Now he says, you have to covet, earnestly covet the best gifts. And yet show I unto you in a more excellent way even. So, in one sense, God's people need to be content with what they are and what the, what the, what the Holy Spirit gives them. At the same time, they may not be lazy. They must always be on the lookout for, what can I do? What else can I do for the Lord, for His church, for His service, for His glory? Always looking for something that's the way, why, that's the reason why they're on earth. Right? For God's glory, to be a prophet, a priest, and a king. To look for the best way that they can promote the kingdom of God. Covet earnestly the best gifts. The best gift is what is the best for God's glory and honor. And yet show it unto you a more excellent way. Studying this, I thought of my father. My late dear father. I was in my late teens and I struggled with the calling for the ministry. And I talked to him about it. Dad, I feel that calling. I feel that urgency. I must preach the word of the living God. You know what he said? He said something similar to what's in the text. He said, Peter, something way more important. Are you becoming a pastor? Way more important. There's this something you should park and say, first, I need to be saved. I need to be saved. That's most important. And 
Don't be so worried about the future, about what you will be in, in, in church. First, find out where you are at. Just be saved from the wrath of God. You know, it's so true. You can be so busy with all church things and, be, and callings and gifts and what should I do. And that is all important, but what about our own soul? So covet earnestly the best gifts, that's good, and yet show unto you a more excellent way. Compare that with the last verse of the next chapter. 13, verse 13. And now abide faith, hope, charity. These three. But the greatest, see the greatest, more excellent, the greatest of these is charity, is love. So maybe the apostle is referring to that. It says, the best gifts, but the main, the main thing is love. Love in the church. Love to God. Love from God. And love for one another. So those gifts are not, not for self-display, not for gratification, not to look at, not to be glorified by people. But those gifts are for God's glory, for his for the welfare of the church. So what is the best, most excellent thing? Love. Faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these, charity. So God's people should strive, covet, earnestly covet the best gift the best gift is love for your neighbor, love for the church, love for the doctor, love for the, day, the days of the Lord. Also consider Martha and Mary. Remember the story? Martha being so busy with serving the Lord Jesus and the disciples. And Martha, Mary did not do anything. Just sitting at the feet of Jesus, just listening. Did she, did she crave a more excellent gift? But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful. One thing is needful. Excellent day. And Mary has chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. The excellent thing. What is the excellent thing? What is the love? The excellent thing is Christ himself, isn't he? The Savior. So the question is, beloved congregation, are you a living member of the body of Christ? Are we a fruit-bearing branch of the vine? Because it's the will of God that we love one another, that we care for one another in the church and seek the welfare of the church. The unity of Christ, the unity of the Spirit, the unity in the body, and many responsibilities. And yet, I may also say, young people, young men, we need pastors in the future, right? We need pastors. So seek your conversion first. Seek to be saved from the wrath of God. Seek a new heart. Seek that repentance and that faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that's foremost. 
but then it's an excellent work to be led by the Spirit to be helped time and again and to be carried upon the wings of prayer. Seek it. And it's a good master. It's a good service. You may be disappointed at first in yourself. You know, when I was coming to the curatorium for the first time, I was 20. In hindsight, I don't understand that even there to go. The fruit was not ripe at all, but I went. I was not accepted. You come home, you think, oh. So then again, my father said, son, it's not so important that you are not accepted yet. Maybe in the future. Seek the kingdom of God and its righteousness. And all other things will be added into you. So seek what's most important, right? Covet earnestly the best gifts, right? And yet, I show you the more excellent way. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Amen.